Our next talk is by Brian Richmond from George Washington University, entitled Pleistocene Footprints and the Evolution of Human Bipedalism. Okay, well, thank you very much for the invitation. I'd like to thank the members of CARTA, um, the organizers, and Steve Churchill and Chris Ruff, and for all of you for coming today. Um, um, I'm following up on uh, a number of good talks. It's hard to follow an act like that. But I wanted to, to echo their uh, sentiments that, that uh, the evolution of human gait has long been central to our understanding of, of human origins. And it's led to iconic images that are um, in, the, in the public today, and even led to public commentary about where we are today or where we're headed. Um, I won't, uh, won't go into that today. That's, that's above my pay grade. Um, so, uh, but many of those reconstructions were um, initially based on uh, at a time um, when we didn't have a very complete fossil record. Um, and as uh, uh, several uh, speakers have noted, that fossil record is growing, and it's growing at an increasing pace, which is really exciting for us. And so at this point in time, uh, we have upwards of 20 or more species in the human fossil record that represent our ancestors and relatives, um, and they're bound to be more, especially down in this area. Um, so it's a very rich fossil record. I'm obviously not going to talk about all of that today, um, but I'm going to point out that in addition to fairly maybe subtle variation among species, we have at least several major transitions from, um, well, the jury is still out on what Artipithecus is what the morphology means, um, uh, but certainly we have an increasing understanding of, of the anatomy of Australopithecus afarensis and now Sediba as well, that represents really interesting wrinkles in the evolution of anatomy, um, and there's a, at least at least one major transition people can agree on between um, uh, Australopithecines such as Australopithecus afarensis and africanus, and what we see in early Homo erectus. And that occurs at a time, indicated in orange, uh, when there were dramatic changes in the, in the environment, where East Africa saw just a wholesale change towards much drier conditions and the, first ex the expansion of the first really true um, uh, savanna grasslands the way we see today. And it probably had something to do with that transition. But uh, now the anatomy, though, has led to an, an immense amount of debate about what exactly was the, the gate like of early hominins. And I think now the question has changed to what were early hominin gates like, that there, there are bound to be these subtle variations as well. But I would argue, too, that to really test these hypotheses that, ge that are generated from the anatomy, so we need some kind of evidence of past behavior. One way we can look at that is look at the way bones respond to changes in exercise, and that could give us uh, um, some direct evidence of how individuals acted during their lifetime. And we also have a few cases like, like this where we have footprints in the ground, and those represent fossilized behavior. Um, you know, that was something that, was, uh, that records an event of the behavior of some individuals walking across that landscape. And it tells us about gait. It's also led to some very creative and popular um, notions about what the, what the social behavior might have been like of these early hominins. So you'll note that here are three different reconstructions of this fossil trail. And here, the female's walking in front. The male's, I don't know if he's following or stalking her. I'm not sure. Um, here we have uh, uh, the, the male taking the lead to his pregnant partner. And here they're walking arm in arm, which is very cute. What's, what's interesting, though, is these are all just, I, I can't believe how fundamentally wrong they are, because they are because if you look at the trails, 
the one on the left represents one individual. If this was another individual, it would be twice as big. And if, if you look closely, there are actually three different individuals making tr- tracks in that trackway. So there are three of them walking behind each other and one walking to the side. So none of these really have it quite right. But certainly, uh, this, is, this was and still is a very exciting discovery that's, that's still debated today. But uh, until recently, we haven't had really anything to compare it to. This, this was a singular discovery, and there, wasn't, uh, there, were, there were not um, footprints from other species and other times to be able to compare to look at the evolution of of, um, of these kinds of fossilized behavior. So what I'm going to briefly mention today is, is our discovery of, of a, a new collection of footprints and um, what that is starting to tell us about the, the evolution of human gait. So that takes us here to eastern Africa, to Kenya, um, up here to Lake Turkana. If we blow up this picture of Lake Turkana, we're working right up here near the Ethiopian border near a town called Ilaret which is right there. And now the site looks something like this. And we have, um, we were uh, digging at the site um, because we'd been finding some fossil hominin um, um, uh, arm bones and hand bones that would be for another talk. Um, but as we were digging here, um, we ended up discovering um, something we, we didn't expect. First, let me point out that we're fortunate here in this part of, part of East Africa to have a rich um, a fossil deposit that's full of volcanic ashes. So here's the volcanic ash, volcanic ash here in white. There's another one here in gray. You can just see outcropping. And there's another um, lighter one right up here. So there's three volcanic ashes interbedded in this one hillside. And we know from a lot of geological work that's been done in the area um, that those three represent the northern Illaret, Illaret, and lower Illaret tuff that have been dated to within about 10 to 15,000 years uh, of each other. So it's remarkable that this whole hillside represents um, somewhere in the vicinity of 10 to 15,000 years of time, one and a half million years ago. So, but this also complicates things. Having such a rich fossil record um, also uh, uh, means that at any one time, there's more than one species living at that time. And we know that at one and a half million years ago, at least four species were present in Africa. And three of these species, this Pranthus boisei, Homo habilis, and Homo erectus, um, or early African Homo erectus, they were all present. In fact, they're all, all three of those are known within a mile of the site. Um, so, uh, so we don't know which species are represented at the site yet. Now, what I'd like to draw your attention to is that we were, um, we were down here excavating for fragments of a, a, a partial skeleton um, when some geologists were studying the hillside. And I'm going to zoom in right here on this backpack. And this picture here, you see the backpack. Um, and you can see in cross-section this nice, um, we see this nice uh, sedimentary layer here. And there's some sand with a little bit of cross-bedding here. There's another um, sort of muddy, silty package and more sand. Um, and, and I'm not a geologist, so I thought, well, that's really neat. You know, but my geologist uh, colleagues who are studying this, and a couple of them pointed out and said, you know, this is really unusual to have this really irregular surface. You know, we don't know of any uh, physical processes that would give you that, those could be footprints. We're like, huh? So what we did is we excavated laterally to the side, and in this picture, you can see this is where we were standing before, and look, this whole layer is just full of footprints, which we wouldn't have discovered otherwise. And here's why. When fossils, which are basically bones that have turned into rocks, when they finally emerge on the surface and weather out on the surface, 
they're there to be found. So when you walk along looking for fossils, you're looking for the things that have eroded out to the surface. When a footprint erodes onto the surface, it's just dirt. So people don't go prospecting for footprints. You don't find them that way. Um, so once, once we were clued in to what were the kinds of interfaces of uh, a, a basically a fine-packed silt mud buried in sand, if, if we knew we could find those combinations, then there was a good chance that, that the sand had buried some kind of surface at that time. So we started looking for that. And in this one hillside, we've now found upwards of 12 land surfaces with prints in them, just in, in nine meters within that uh, 10, 10 15,000 years. And some of them have really exquisite preservation. And we were fortunate enough, I also thought when we found this, I was like, well, Hominin fossils represent somewhere in the vicinity of 1% of the, of the macrofauna uh, macro and the fossil record. So I was trying to imagine how much of the hill you'd have to dig until you find one per, the 1% that represents hominins. Fortunately, they happen to like this environment. So um, we have lots of uh, uh, footprints of uh, large birds, like this thing that was probably a, a fossil stork. Um, we have fossil bovids, lots of them, fossil hippos. But we also found some fossil hominin prints. And here, some of them with, with really exquisite anatomical detail. Like here you can see the big toe, the second, third, fourth, fifth toes as the foot sunk into the mud. Uh, here's another one where you can really see all the toes nicely lined up, and here's a nice little footprint. So this is really exciting because it, it gives us a whole new um, uh, a time period, new line of inquiry to ask questions about in the fossil record. So this is actually from a couple of years ago, but we've done more since then, is um, we found at least two different layers in that one hill hominin footprints. In fact, last summer we continued this trail on some more, and um, uh, we also continued this trail on some more. This upper surface had a lot of hominin um, uh, footprints in it, Again, these represent, these represent two different surfaces separated by uh, five to 10,000 years in this particular instance. So they're, they're not the same individuals in the same instance. Um, so what we did to record and analyze those um, is use a method called photogrammetry, um, which it's nice and easy. All you need is a camera, although you, you also need shade, which is not easy when you're um, near the equator in the desert in Africa. So I had a team that, that created shade for us for these pictures. And what we do is take a whole repeated series of photos that overlap. And just like your eye sees two images and interpolates that into th three dimensions, um, we did that with the photographs. And so each purple um, box represents where the camera was when we took a picture. And we get an entire land surface in two dimensions, and we can even get it in three dimensions as well. So, and then we can do something like this, where we have um, a hominin print. Here's a modern foot for scale. Uh, here, then you get you get a nice three-dimensional um, uh, capture of that of that topography. Now, what's exciting about that is that it not only gives us a, a nice color picture, but it, it it actually it gives us contours where we can look at not just the shape of the outer outer contour of the print, but we can look at the, the depths within a print. And we, we suspect that the depths in a print are related to how you're mechanically using your foot on the substrate. So um, here uh, on this upper surface, it's, it's, there's a, there are a lot of prints in here. But here, for example, is a right footprint, left, right, left, right, left, right, left. Um, and you can see here's the, the, the 3D capture of, of that trail. Um, and we've done some things like look at some stride lengths and step lengths. Um, once we found these footprints, 
We were also struck by how little data there were out there on how to interpret footprints. There hasn't been a lot of need to do that, I think. So we've, we set up a whole experiment out in the field with um, local people who, who thankfully grew up without wearing shoes, so we had some habitually unshod folks, and we had them um, walk, jog, and run through a mud pallet and also on a, pre- a pressure pad, which measures your foot function as you land, uh, to try to look at things like speed and stature and foot length and so forth. So with those modern footprints and with the fossil footprints, we set about to measure anatomical landmarks. Now, this is not the the same thing as the foot itself because the same foot making a series of footprints will make slightly different footprints every time. So one foot that doesn't change its shape much um, can still make different kinds of footprints. And that's what we're trying to do. We think the, the slop, if you will, the variation in different footprints during gait that's a lot of the source of interesting information. It's not, it's not noise, it's the signal. So what we're trying to do is figure out what that signal is and how it varies with speed and how muddy it is and, um, uh, and also your gait, how, whether you walk with extended limbs or flexed limbs and so forth. So we said about um, digitize some of the, these landmarks and I'm just going to point out a few things that we found so far. The first thing is these fossil footprints are big. Um, they are as big as um, uh, most modern footprints. And that's, that's not quite what we expected. Based on, based on fossils, the best body size estimates of early Homo erectus or Pranthus boisei or Homo habilis tend to be on the smaller side. Um, uh, so these are really large prints. And you can compare them to the typical Liatoli print. Um, so these are much larger individuals than what you see in, in, in Afarensis. We also looked at something that's of, of interest, which is how, how divergent is that big toe? It's going to be a little bit different. Looking at bones, um, you can look at how, how they might articulate, but here's how they're actually functioning on a substrate. And what we did is we simply measured that big toe and um, uh, extrapolated it back to where it intersected with the axis of the foot. And we have two different mo- modern groups. One was the sample I showed you of those local Dachnich folks in Kenya. Another one was a set of Holocene modern human prints. Uh, now, what we see is that the Liatoli prints have a much more divergent toe. Now, this is not as divergent as what you saw in some previous slides with chimpanzees or gorillas. They would be out here. So uh, uh, we don't think that Liatoli, the, the makers of the Liatoli prints had a grasping toe, but there is evidence that there's more there's just still more of a gap between the big toe and other toes. Interestingly, in three different surfaces, um, uh, we're seeing sort of an intermediate. We're seeing a more, uh, we're seeing a toe more in line with the other toes, but not completely. Um, we still don't know whether some of this might be due to variation in the mud type or something like that. But it is it is interesting that maybe even hominins at one and a half million years ago didn't have a big toe that was quite as fully adducted or brought in line as, as ours. Another measure of great interest is whether these hominins had a really well-developed longitudinal arch. Um, so what we did to try to measure that is, is measure the, the broadest point on the ball of the foot, which we uh, uh, show here, and the narrowest point in the instep. Um, th- those with high arches tend to have a very narrow strip here. A flat foot, you'd see a lot of um, you see a lot of depression down here. And what we found basically is in blue, the Liatoli prints for a given width of the ball of the foot, they had a much broader instep, meaning that there wasn't much of a uh, of a at least a tissue arch there. Um, and the green and gray represent our modern sample, and the red represent one of the fossil samples. Interestingly. 
one of the other layers, we have a couple of individuals um, that have what look like a much more primitive kind of arch shape. And it's possible we have two different species represented here. Again, we can't tell which species the, the printmakers are yet, but we're ideally we're going to find three different foot shapes. That would be ideal. I don't know if I can put that order into the paleoanthropology gods or not. Um, uh, actually, my, what I really want, if I get to put one order in, I really want one to walk along and then trip and do a whole body plant. You get a whole, you know, that's what, I, I will be a true believer. But um, that's what I tell everyone. Like, please, that's what I want. Um, but facial expression would be great. Um, but uh, <laughs> we'll keep looking. So um, fi- finally, one last thing we did too was that we wanted to see if the deepest point under the, underneath, the, uh, the, the, underneath the footprint, uh, where that was, especially where that was under the ball of the foot. So if we take a Lyotoli footprint and we warp it into one of these one and a half million year old prints, one of the things we see is that um, this medial part of the foot moves over, which reflecting that arch measurement, and then the deepest point of the ball of the foot moves towards the big toe. That's interesting because that's one of the hallmarks of the way we walk. However, as a caveat, um, if we warp one of these one and a half million year old prints into a modern human prince, it moves over even further and the arch moves over even further. So we don't know whether this represents just different foot morphologies at this point or possibly uh, differences in gait or substrate or what. But what it does suggest, the fact that this deepest point in the footprint, that's something that that is typical of, of a human way of walking. When we land on our heel like this, the path of pressure goes along the outside of our foot, and right near the end of our stance phase, the end of our, of our support, we shift all that weight over to the big toe, or towards the big toe, and we push off, and we propel ourselves, and that's part of our efficient way of walking that makes our walking more efficient than that of, of other mammals. Apes tend to land on their heel, the path of pressure goes along the outside of the foot, but then they just lift their foot up. They don't push in with, uh, with their, the strongest toe, their big toe. So the fact that this, this, the deepest point is farther over towards the midline, towards the medial side, that suggests to us that we're seeing this more modern type uh, way of walking at one and a half million years ago. So here we are. We, we don't know yet whether that represents Homo erectus, Homo habilis, or Boisei. Based just on the sheer size of the prints, we, don't, we have no Homo habilis that are big enough to be good candidates. Uh, right now, it would either be male Pranthropus boisei or Homo erectus, um, or both. If, if, if the footprints are indistinguishable, it would suggest that the common ancestor of those had a foot morphology kind of like this. So it's still early days because we, uh, we have a limited sample so far, but I would say that the Kubi-4 formation is an enormous place full of exposures, and we've already identified a half a dozen other sites um, kilometers away from our site where we have some kind of footprints of bobbits or something else. So I think this is opening up. It's really exciting. It's opening up a whole new line of inquiry about looking at variation across landscapes and over time um, that can help answer some of these questions and test some of these models about how our early ancestors walked long ago. So thank you very much, and I'd like to thank you all for coming. (laughs) 